good morning, everyone. It is an honor to be here. I mean, anytime you walk into a church and they're playing Weezer and the first worship song is from Hank Williams Sr. and you got a little bit of gospel and Matt Redmond, you have an incredible church. Such an honor to be here. My name is Steve Carter and I'm a teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church outside of Chicago. But I know that every time you have a guest speaker, I guarantee you they pretend or try to win your favor by saying that they are a Michigan fan. But I will tell you the truth, I am one. You can email me right now at goblue at willowcreek.org. My first game, 1987, January 1st, Rose Bowl, we lost to Arizona State, but the whole time my dad swears by it that I stood up as a seven-year-old screaming, Harbaugh! Harbaugh! He never looked at me, but I did not stop screaming. I named my dog Bo after Bo Beckler. Then I found out my dog was a girl, so I just named it Boo. But like, <laughs> I, I love Michigan football. So it's, I feel like I'm at home with you. If you wanna like reminisce over Rose Bowl victories, I'm your guy, I am your guy. But hey, I wanna begin with a question. What if Edward Kimball said no? Now, I know some of you are sitting here going, like, who's Edward Kimball? He was a Sunday school teacher. He had about 10 squirrely junior high aged and high school aged students. But one night, in the middle of the night, he is awoken by what he believes is a whisper from God. And God whispers to him and says, hey, I want you to go to that one squirrely high school student. I want you to go to his workplace, and I want you to be bold and be brave, and I want you to declare the good news, the gospel. And Edward Kimmel's like, ah, oh, man, no way, this can't be God. But by faith, he wakes up the next morning and says that must have been God, not bad pizza, and makes his way downtown. Step by step, faith, step after step, he makes his way up some stairs, opens the door to this student's workplace, sees the student stacking the shelves, walks right up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder, and declares the gospel. And the student just looks at him, but doesn't say anything. And after making an invitation to receive the gift of grace, and the student doesn't say anything, Edward Kimball thinks he's failed. Removes his hand, and heads back home, dejected, but unbeknownst to Edward Kimball. When this student gets off work, he leaves, and he goes and he sits on the stairs outside of his workplace, and he surrenders his life to Christ. And that student was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest living communicators and teachers of the gospel. He started Moody Bible Institute, uh, Moody Publishing, Moody Radio. And I, I find myself sometimes wondering, what if Edward Kimball said no? I have a guy in our church, his name's Jose. He's a car salesman, don't hold that against him. But he works for a local Nissan dealer, and one day, the end of the month of November, his general manager pulls all the salesmen together and says, hey, 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 guys, if we sell 10 cars today, we will break every dealer record. 10 cars, can we do it? The whole team's like, yeah, we can do it, we can do it. And so he goes around and the general manager basically says, I need you to sell two cars. I know you just started last week, but you gotta do your best to sell one car. And while he's going around, my friend Jose hears this whisper, tell him you'll sell four. He's never sold more than two cars in one day, but he's like, I'll sell four, 
but I need to make a deal with you, general manager. And general manager is like, sure, if you sell four cars, I'll do whatever you want. And so he says, if I sell four cars, you have to come with me to our Christmas Eve service at church. He's like, deal, done. They break, they dismiss. Jose gets on the horn, he starts making calls, and by noon, he sold two cars. And then he goes into a five-hour and 15-minute slump. Can't sell a car, and he's like, come on, God, come on. And at 5.15, someone walks in. Within 35 minutes, he sold them uh, a new car. And then it's 5.51, and he's like, I got nine more minutes. Come on, God, I've sold three cars. Come on, 5.52, 5.53, 5.54, someone walks in. Another salesperson jumps on this person, and the guy says, uh, I'm looking for a Jose. And Jose's like, that, that's me. He's like, yeah, yeah, you sold a car to a buddy of mine three years ago, and my Sentra just blew out, and I, just, I need a new one. So uh, I don't care what color, just give me the cheapest Sentra, I'll buy it right now. And he's like, are you kidding me? He writes up all the paperwork, they sign it, he gets on his phone, he texts his boss, I sold four cars, we broke the record. What service are you going to? Crickets. <laughs> Nothing. The next day, general manager calls him into his office, says, Jose, have a seat. He sits down in the office, he pulls out his checkbook and goes, how much do you want your bonus to be? I've never seen such excellence at work. You sold four cars. And right now, Jose's like, wait, 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 wait. We had a deal. But maybe he's not gonna go, but now, I had conviction, but now I'm getting the chance for cash. But he goes, no, 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 no. And he looks at the general manager and goes, I don't want your money. I want you to come to my service. Will you? And the general manager slams his hands down and goes, I will not go to your dumb service. And he gets up and walks out of his own office. And Jose's like, ah, oh, I should have taken the cash. <laughs> but he's sitting there and he goes, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But something inside him says, I'm just gonna stay put in my boss's office. And he waits for 15 minutes. The boss finally comes back and goes, Jose, you're right. We had a deal. But here's my deal. If I've gotta go to your service, then all these jokers outside have to come too. <laughs> so on December 21st, 131 staff and their families from the local Nissan dealership showed up to the Willow Creek Community Church Christmas service. Yeah. And I, I often wonder, what if Edward Kimball said no? What if Jose said no? I got a friend named Rachel. She is one of the premier makeup artists in the city of Chicago. Big concerts, Broadway productions, she gets called. But God had been whispering to her. There is a group of women who put up makeup every night and perform. And she just felt like God was saying, I want you to go into the clubs, into the strip clubs, and I want you to start doing makeup. And she's like, what? And she ended up going in there. Now, Anyone who's ever, whoever is like a stylist in this room, I feel like your parts shrink. Because when someone sits down and you are either working on their hair or working on their makeup, they will answer any of your questions. Any personal question, like what's the worst thing your dad ever said to you? I'm like, why am I telling you this? Who are you? 
And Rachel had this ability. And as she started to just meet with these women, ask them questions, she began to invite them to know about grace, invite them into a better story, invite them into the church. And many of these women began to accept Christ and begin to leave this industry and begin to find another opportunity to put their real gifts on display. And I find myself going, what if Edward Kimball said no? What if Jose said no? What if Rachel said no? And my question to you is what happens every time you say no to the whispers and the promptings of God? You know what happens? Your city loses. Your county loses. Your state loses. Our country loses. And the world loses. And eternity gets smaller. And what I want to do is I want to introduce you to someone who I think is quite forgettable in the scriptures. But we often have to discover that his life only referenced 11 times in scriptures was quite unforgettable. We all are here today, I believe, because of this one man. And I believe he's someone like you and I. It might seem forgettable, but really, he heard a prompting and a whisper from God, and he said yes. His name is Ananias, and he's really a hero to me in the scriptures. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. If not, it will be up on the screen. It says this in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Damascus was 150 miles from the city of Jerusalem. And the scripture says there was a disciple. In Hebrew, it's the word Talmudim. A disciple is someone who has high desire and high devotion to be like their rabbi. And this man, Ananias, had high desire and high devotion to be like Jesus. And 150 miles from Jerusalem, he was leading this movement. And people were coming to faith. Damascus is modern-day Syria. And in this moment, God whispers to Ananias, and his response is, yes, yes. When's the last time God has whispered to you and your first response was, yes, yes, Lord. And all of a sudden, God begins to invite Ananias into this incredible faith adventure. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Have you ever had those moments when you say, yes, Lord, and then all of a sudden God gives you an invitation? I remember being in Bujumbura, Burundi. And at this time, Burundi was one of the five poorest countries in all of the world. We had raised these resources that we wanted to give to these incredible female leaders, these microfinance loans, to really bless the capital city. But we could not get the clearance from the officials in Bujumbura to get these funds to these women. We're sitting in this meeting. There's probably about seven of us. And the guy who's leading the meeting is fantastic because he realizes no good ideas are coming. So he just calls a timeout and says, here's what we're going to do. No one, none of you have any good ideas, so I'm going to give you the next four and a half hours to do whatever you want, but 
at dinner, come back, and you better have one good idea. He dismisses us. We walk out, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars that are on the line. We walk out and I ask my friends, what are you guys gonna do? And one of them just says, I'm gonna go back to the hotel, probably take a nap, maybe I'll have a dream or something. I walk into the, my hotel room thinking, man, maybe I should do that, when all of a sudden I have this like impression, this prompting, go for a run. So I put on some basketball shorts and I don't know Bujumbura very well and I start running and I just feel as if God's kind of leading me into this downtown area of this capital city and I find my way to this court in the middle of the city, this basketball court and there's about 500 people surrounding this court. And as I watch, they're just playing basketball and it's pretty competitive. When someone walks up to me and pokes me, and goes, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay, just, just watching the basketball game. He goes, no, no, you good in basketball. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay. He goes, no, if I choose you, do we win? <laughs> now, here's what you have to know. Number one, I played college basketball at Cal State Fullerton. Maybe not play is the right word. I sat at the bench, but still, I gotta choose. Uh, two, I'm probably one of the most competitive people on the planet. And three, I didn't wanna lie. And so as this guy asked this question, I was like, yeah, if you choose me, we will win. <laughs> and the guy, the guy goes like this, all of a sudden, you out, you in. I'm like, wow, not even stretching. Okay, we're gonna do this. For the next hour and 45 minutes, we go four and oh, we win every game. At the end of it, they give us money. And I was like, man, I didn't even know I joined like the National Burundi Basketball Association. But this guy looks at me and goes, Tomorrow, same time, championship game, be here. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I can, I, I can be here. Uh, we've got these meetings, with who? Well, we're trying to like get clearance from the government officials, uh, but we're having a hard time. We've raised all this money, we wanna like get it to these female leaders. Who are you trying to connect with? I just say, these two guys, I start rattling off their names. And he goes, the second one, that's me. I was like, I know you love the game of basketball, God. And I look at him, I'm like, why don't you check your email? He goes, I make you a deal. We win tomorrow, I take meeting. So then I gotta go back to our meeting with my one good idea. Yeah. You ever been in those meetings where everyone else has ideas and you're like, wrong answer, not good, ain't gonna work. I'm like, guys, you know what? We're gonna play basketball. They're like, Carter, stop it. No, 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 no. If we win tomorrow, and we will, I will, this guy said that he will take our meeting. And they're like, what? I, I tell you this story, we won, we took the meeting, funds went to these women, it was amazing. But I tell you this story because it's so bizarre, and it's only God. It's so weird and random, and yet it's only God. And I'm telling you this, every time you say no to God, Here's my theory. God has all of this redemptive potential, and the crazy thing is, he wants to use you and me. And so he gives us these invitations to say yes, but if you say no, then he's gonna go to somebody else. And if she says no, then he's gonna go to somebody else. And if he says no, and this is what's happening in our churches. 
Our churches are being filled with more and more people whose first response to the whisper and promptings of God isn't, yes, Lord. It's more like, ah, I don't think that was God. I don't know if I really want to put myself out there. I'm not sure. Maybe not today, God. And many of us who are just saying, no. And what I love about Ananias and what makes him so unforgettable is that he says yes, and God gives him this invitation. But the invitation is quite scary. It's to go see a man by the name of Saul. And look at Ananias' response, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man named Saul and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Basically, Ananias is saying, God, have you been watching the news? Do you know who Saul of Tarsus really is? I don't mean to try and kind of create controversy, but you know who Saul was? He was a first century terrorist. He was waging terror on the Christian church. You know Stephen, the first martyr? Everyone took off their jackets and robes and they put it at Saul's feet because he gave the clearance, he gave the authority to kill him. And now he's heard 150 miles away that there is this church where there is this spirit and life and fire and goodness. And he goes to the chief priest and goes, give me permission and I will shut it down. I will beat them, imprison them, kill them. I will do whatever it takes to make them stop saying the name of Jesus. And on his way, he gets rocked. He gets humbled, falls off his horse. He encounters Jesus who basically says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he's led to this home in Damascus, downtown Damascus. And he's not eating. And for three days, I imagine him in the fetal position just replaying the tapes of all the stuff that he's done. And here's the thing. Sometimes we say, yes, God, I'll go. And then God says, here's what I want you to do. And then we start to second guess, don't we? Is that really God? I don't know, that's too scary, God. I don't know if we should do this. And the problem is, is we almost zoom in on the labels, on the past, on the differences. And the beautiful thing about God is, he's almost like Google Earth. He's able to like zoom out. He sees the potential and the power of what this person's life and story could be if Christ were at the center. Look what God says, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense because we can't see the entire story. Anytime I meet someone, I love to walk up to them and just simply ask like, hey, how did you come to know Christ? Who invited you? I saw Tony Campolo speak once. I walked up to him and asked him, and he's like, I could tell you, but can I tell you a story that just happened? I was like, sure. I was speaking at a Pentecostal college, he tells me, and right before he comes up on stage, the board of trustees tell him to get on his knees to pray for him. He's on his knees, and, and Tony's like a, a larger man, bald, and all of a sudden, these big guys are just praying over him, and he's a sweaty man, and just, just sweat and prayer, and these men are praying for Tony. God, use him, anoint him, power, 
And then one of the men whose hands on Tony's dome basically says, and God, I pray for Charlie. And Tony's like, my name's Tony. He's like, I pray for Charlie, Charlie Stolfus. Charlie Stolfus who lives in a silver mobile home right now. God, I pray for an intervention because Charlie's just about to leave his wife and his three kids. Please, God, I pray. The prayers keep going, keep going. Finally, it says, amen. Tony walks up on stage. He delivers a message. He walks off stage. He gets in his rental car, and he's headed to the airport. As he's headed to the airport, he sees someone over there on the side of the road with their thumb out. Here's this whisper. Pick him up. Pulls over, rolls down the window. He's like, hey, uh, where are you headed? The guy says, anywhere far from here. Tony goes, I'm headed to the airport. I can give you a ride. He's like, great. Gets in the car. They start driving. Finally, Tony goes, oh, what's your name? Charlie. Charlie what? Charlie Stolfus. And at this moment, Tony's like, automatic lock. He whips the car around, and the guy's like, what? What are, you, what are you doing? He goes, you're Charlie Stolfus. You live in a silver mobile home. You just walked out on your wife and three kids. And this guy's like, who are you? I am a man of God, and you're going to lead me to the AstroTurf in front of your silver mobile home because I have a word for you and your wife and your three kids. Talk about the walk of shame. You just walked out, and now you're coming back with a man of God. And so all of a sudden, wife, three kids, and Charlie are there, and Tony begins to speak. And these five fall to their knees, receive Christ, and to this day, their marriage is intact. And I sit here and I go, man! Sometimes we just zoom in and go, oh, God couldn't do that. No, no way. This isn't going to work. This is too dangerous, too risky, too scary. I'm going to have to put my faith on the line. And God's like, can you imagine if this person actually became my chosen instrument, what their story, what their brokenness now redeemed by grace could mean for the kingdom, it's breathtaking. And so all of a sudden, verse 17 says this, then Ananias went to the house, he goes, he enters it, and he places his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What I want you to see here is this. When Ananias walks in, he doesn't see the labels of Saul. He doesn't see the murderer, Saul. He doesn't see the brokenness of Saul. He doesn't see what everyone else sees. You know what he sees? He sees with God's eyes. And he walks up to him, places his hands on his shoulders and says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. And then God uses him and all of a sudden, it's like scales that were blinding Saul fall. He gets up, he eats, he regains his strength, he gets baptized and all of a sudden, God begins to use Saul, who we know as Paul, to write the majority of the New Testament. I find myself wondering, what if Ananias said no? We might not have Romans. What if Ananias said no? We might not have someone who said, you know what, I feel called to go to the Gentiles to teach them that God would welcome them at, their ta at his table. 
We are here because of Paul, and Paul was there because of Ananias. What if Edward Kimball says no? What if Jose said no? What if Rachel says no? What if Tony says no? What if Ananias says no? What happens with you say no? And what might happen when you had the courage and the boldness to say yes to a prompting of God? So how do you do it? I want to give you four ways in which you can live this invitational life. A life that invites people into your story. A a kind of life that invites people into God's story. Into your church. Number one, you have to live deep with Jesus. Live deep with Jesus. This isn't something where you can just kind of say it but not live it. If you're going to live invitationally, you have to go deep with Jesus. You have to be in his word. Not just someone who's like trying to read it and get through it, but someone who's trying to allow the scriptures to ask questions of your life. When you begin to learn in the voice of God, when you begin to understand the spirit of God, it opens you up throughout your day. You live, number two, you show up with expectation. God is everywhere, which means every environment you enter into, your workplace, the coffee shop, your family, in-law's house, God is there, which means that every environment is brimming with redemptive potential. But do you show up just trying to get your coffee? Do you show up just trying to get your dry cleaning? Do you show up just trying to get it as quick as possible and get out? What if you showed up with expectancy that God's there and that God might want to use you? I guarantee you, your head is on a swivel. And if you live deep with Jesus and you show up with expectancy, God will invite you to build ongoing relationships. Live, show up, relate. Relationships. Everything about the scriptures is about relationships. God is a relational God. He invites us to be relational. Know the people, know your baristas, know your servers, know their stories, ask questions, know their pain, learn their desires, ask them about it. And when you build those ongoing relationships, you live, you show up, you relate, then finally you can risk. And you get to risk it all for what matters most. Because the truth is, there's only one thing that we can take into the next reality. You know what that is? People. And what I believe a legacy is, is simply this. The number of people we take in with us to heaven. That's what I want. For eternity to look back and go, man, my life got to be a part of changing and helping this person's story. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful I didn't say no. I'm so moved by this concept because when I was in seventh grade, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And my my mom had a bad experience in public school in New York City and Queens. So we grew up in, I grew up in Southern California. She had moved cross country and she just basically said, you're gonna go to a Christian school. And I went to one of those schools that was like in preschool all the way up to community college that had like a church connected to it. And when I was in seventh grade, there were two juniors in high school, Dominic and Nathan, but they went by the name Dominate, which is just awesome. (laughs) And I remember playing basketball one day when Dominic walked up to me, and I didn't even know this guy knew who I was. But he walks up to me and goes, hey, Carter, do you want to learn how to dominate life? 
And to this day, it's one of the greatest questions anyone has ever asked me. Do you want to learn how to dominate life? And for the next eight months, these two picked me up, took me to get hamburgers at In-N-Out, went and shot hoops with me, opened up the Bible, and began to teach me about Jesus, and it changed the trajectory of my life. And within a few years, I was getting the chance to baptize my mom. And two years after that, on my 19th birthday, I got to baptize my father. And God began to use me. And all of a sudden, I began to realize, man, what am I doing on this earth? Is it to make more money? Is it to try to gain more followers on social media? Is it to have influence? Or is it to live an invitational life that invites people into the greatest story possible? And that's God's story. And friends, that's what I want to encourage you. I think next weekend you have this amazing, amazing opportunity. Amazing opportunity. I mean, one, my mentor, Pastor Harvey Carey, is going to be here, and he's going to be running back and forth on stage, sweating. I love it. But two, what if every one of you decided right now, Kellogg Park, next weekend, I'm going to take a risk and I'm gonna invite some friends. And what if, just what if, God began to whisper a face or a place to you that you frequent and you went there living deep with Jesus, showing up with ex expectation, willing to build these ongoing relationships and God whispers and you said yes and all of a sudden you step in to a conversation and you invite them. And what if they come? And what if they come and they hear Harvey? Or what if they come and, and they actually get to experience community at Kellogg Park? Don't you think their life might just be a little bit better in community? Don't you think their life might just have something powerful about it? And the question is, will you have the courage to say yes? Will you be an Ananias? Because I think something inside us goes, we want there to be more Pauls in the church, but you can't have a Paul unless an Ananias shows up. I see this car, and no joke, I drove that car in college. Mine was a 1982 Ford Country Squire Limited Edition LTD pleather, and I could fit 13 people, four in the first seat, second in the, four in the second, and then in the very far back, you popped it open, and there was a table that popped up. You could fit five around this table, and you could play euchre and, like, die by carbon monoxide. It was awesome. So we do this all the time for camping, but I started to think about it. One day I'm driving at, like, strong, 43 on the freeway because that's as fast as you can go without shaking, and God whispers, and he goes, man, start naming your seats. I'm like, What? Like, name every seat, okay? So I start naming players on my basketball team who don't go to church, and God's like, pray for them. And like, what if this whole car was filled? Every seat that I've given you, I gave you that car, Steve, I blessed you with that car. What if you had the courage to invite people in those seats, and you brought them to church? I was like, man, all right. And I started. And people said no, all right? I, and I, I used to have a hard time when people said no to me. But then I, I heard Mark Burnett once say this. He's the guy who like started The Voice and Survivor, pitches shows all the time. He goes, anytime an executive tells him no, you know what he thinks? Okay, great. No means next opportunity. 
And I was like, yes, that's it. It's not my responsibility if they say no. It's my responsibility to not say their no for them. I want to give them a chance to say yes. So I started to pray. And God began to fill those seats. And many of them came to faith. And it was amazing. So fast forward 10 years. I'm a junior high pastor. And I, I decided to like do something very similar. Have a car like that on stage. And I begin to teach these students. And says, I say, two weeks. We have this massive event. What if you because God's blessed your mom with a Toyota Camry, or blessed your dad with a pickup truck, or blessed your, your family with a Volvo soccer mom. Like, you have the car for a reason, and those empty seats, what if you name them? Two weeks, let's pray every day that God would give us the courage to make those invites. And so, two weeks later, I stood outside and I watched a Camry pull up, packed. Truck, packed. Minivan, packed. I would say 95% of the seats were packed. And we had a, a student ministry of about 250. It grew to over 650 after this event because of these students. And the last car that showed up, a 1982 Ford Country Squire limited edition. And the dad gets out, walks to the very back, opens it up, no joke, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, it's not legal right now, coming out of the back, 15, 16. And the last kid who's climbed out from the very front, out of the back, has like this beehive going due east, looks at me and goes, it's the miracle of the station wagon. And he walks in. And I'll tell you this, within six months, eight of those 16 gave their life to Christ. And when those eight went into high school, they didn't enter into high school as freshmen. They entered in on a mission to start an uprising on their campus. And they did. And many more students started to come to faith. Why? Because one student started to name and pray and said yes and took out a risk and began to invite people. And God began to do something in these students' lives. Friends, what are you going to do? Are you going to say yes to God or are you going to say no? One last story and then I'll be done. My 10-year anniversary, I, I took my wife to Hawaii to celebrate We'd been saving up for a couple years, and we stayed out on this cove. And we were over this cove, and basically to enter into the water, you had to go through three condo associations. And on low tide, you could just stand in the water, and you could look down, and you could see the turtles, and you could see the beautiful fish. But a couple times during the day, there would be the sea change, and there would be high tide, and six, seven-foot waves would come breaking in, which was awesome for surfing. But if you couldn't swim, it was quite scary. And so about 5, 6 p.m., we're grilling out, watching whales breaching. It was stunning when all of a sudden I heard, help! And I looked over the cove, and I could see six, seven-footers coming in. And I realized, this is high tide. And something inside me just started to run. It was like David Hasselhoff within. And I took off running. I climbed one condo association fence, go to another, jump it, go to another one, jump it. And as I'm running to the water, I'm thinking of my friends who were lifeguards in Southern California. And they would gather before every shift, they'd say, not on our watch. No one drowns on our watch. And I'm like jumping in the water. I'm like, God, not on my watch, not on my watch, not on my watch. And I'm just pushing to get to this woman. And I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I finally get to her. And I end up putting her on my back and I start swimming back, back, back. And as I start carrying her, out of the water, I see her 11-year-old daughter 
five-year-old son just breaking down. She's not really breathing. We get her down. We end up doing like some CPR. She ends up being okay. And like cortisol, adrenaline rush. And I'm like, oh, praise God. Thank you. And then I look up. And I look up to the cove where I had ran. And there's 50 people on this cove with their arms folded just watching. And in this moment of like feeling like a hero, God whispers to me and he says this, how often have you been one of those people on the cove with your arms folding watching someone drown? Steve, there are people in your life who are drowning in their finances, drowning in their questions with God, drowning in addiction, drowning in systemic injustice, drowning in pain, drowning in suffering, and you're standing up there. And you ran all this way for someone you don't know, and you won't run all of that same way for someone you do know. Help me understand. And that was one of the longest walks back, and I was weeping. Because truth be told, I was afraid to say yes. Here's what I wanna leave you with. Don't be someone who lives your life like this. Don't be someone who just comes and sits and listens to great talks and experiences worship. Be someone who lives deep with Jesus, who shows up with expectation, who wants to build ongoing relationships, who's willing to risk it all because the greatest gift you can give someone is an introduction to the God who loves them. That's what my senior pastor always says. And God wants to use you. So may you live an invitational life and may you risk it all for what matters most. Say yes, amen? Amen. amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Hey, if any of this resonates or you're new, um, I'm gonna pray for you in a second, but uh, feel free, fill this connect card out. They'd love to get to know you. This is such a great church. And maybe for some of you, you're standing here going, I've never said yes to Jesus. I don't even know what this relationship is about. We're gonna have a prayer team right down front. We'd love just to tell you, because I, I just want you to know God wants to use you. Or maybe there's some other stuff that you're walking through in your life and you just had a hard week. I just want you to know this is an amazing prayer team. They'd love to pray for you. But maybe just put your hands out like this. I'd love to give you a blessing. Sometimes for me, I need to have like my posture lead my heart. And I just wanna give you some words to receive right now. My brothers and sisters of Northridge Church, may you say yes this week every time God whispers. Every time you sense God prompting, may you step out. And may you go on a faith adventure. And may you walk into your Starbucks, your marketplace, your neighborhood, your school this week with your eyes wide open to the redemptive potential that's all around you. And may you this week have the courage to invite someone to hear Harvey next week. May you have the courage next week to invite someone to experience a powerful worship set at Kellogg Park next Saturday night. And may you experience the thrill of seeing that life transformed because God is at the center. I hope you have a great, great week. Grace and peace. Thanks for having me.
Sacrifice can now repay the debt. 